Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns, and uh, Alex will be answering the phone. He's back. so He partied last week instead of coming here. It was his son's birthday, and they had a wild cupcake party and all kinds of stuff, so it was great fun. But anyway, Mr. Kelly, before, I had something really bad happen on the way to the station today. What happened? Well, I was going down Gravoy, uh-huh. and this squirrel ran ac- started running across the street. Mm-hmm. Gravoy's, you know, quite wide. Yeah. And then the squirrel saw coming in the opposite direction uh, other cars. Yeah. So then he did the zigzag uh-huh. back and forth and back and forth, and then I ran over him. Oh. So I didn't know if I should stop and, you know, pick him up and take him off Maybe the road. Maybe CPR or something, yeah, help him out a little know. bit. But, I mean, I, f- oh. I felt a lump, and it was like, yeah, uh, don't you hate that? <laughs> I saw an armadillo on the way to work this morning. Really? Yeah. That yeah. you? I avoided him. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have. I thought this. You know, uh, usually the squirrels know which way to go to get out yeah, of the way. Yeah. So this one just happened to stop right where my wheel was. Well, you know, it was his time. Yeah. You know, sometimes it happens, and I'm sure his family will miss him. But uh, <laughs> you know, that's one fewer that'll be on my bird feeders. <laughs> True. <laughs> Yeah, it was a long hike from this side of the river over to yours. But yeah, well, and they, they can swim, I guess. Or, yeah. You know, they hop a barge. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, that's a that's a tough way to start the day. Yeah, it was. Oh, well. Well, and you know, you grow enough things to, to replace nature, you sure. know? Yeah. It loses a squirrel. It gains a whole bunch of flowers. <laughs> that's a trade. And somebody may scrape it up and put it to some place where it will decompose. And Make help. a nice meal. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but that's the first thing I've hit in a long time. I can't really? remember last time. I hit a uh, raccoon a couple of years ago, oh, and really? it was like $1,500, $1,800 damage. What? Yeah, it was on the highway. That must have been a muscular yeah. raccoon. Well, I, well, you hit him on the highway, you're, you know, it was like, and there, again, nothing I could do. Just right. boom, right there, and it's right. and it's like, yeah, that, that's that's tough. I'm yeah. sorry, Mike. My condolences <laughs> to, to Rocky and his family. <laughs> You okay? Oh, oh, oh. You want me to do the show for you? At least it wasn't you? a skunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so for I sure. I have to take yeah, that you would, with me. I'd be in the other room if that was the case. <laughs> right. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. 
Yes, Saturday mornings we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your backyard. What's going on? Why is that side yard always wet? The front yard, how to make it look better or how to make it look a little bit less chaotic. I guess that would be better. Specialty garden space. How are your herbs doing? How about your vegetables? How about your butterfly garden? A taste of the tropics, your house plants that you moved outside, how are they doing? How about the ones that you left inside, how are they doing? And uh, what is uh, potting mix? How to improve your soil? This is a perfect time of year to be doing that. Should you be doing any shearing or pruning or anything? And uh, getting rid of bugs and diseases. This is a time, yes, you can certainly start going after them to reduce the problems potentially for next year. Using the information that I share with you and... uh, Hopefully, we'll help you solidify your options, but the final judgment is going to be on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show. I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. As I said before, another very important player in the game is Alex. He produces, so he answers the phone, just your first name and where you're calling from. That's all he needs to know. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to come around I call it a walk and talk. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow, some crazy-looking mushrooms, probably maybe six or seven inches across in diameter as far as the heads go. We're floating like UFOs over this damp, sparkling lawn area. And this lawn area was spiced with a Dutch white clover. And there were spurs filling some of the expansion joints in the sidewalk. Vehicles race by after they stop at the stoplight. And there's a bus stop there, too, waiting for somebody to come and have a seat and get on the bus. And <laughs> as you know, I don't know if you know it or not, but they pretty much have to wear masks everywhere. But uh, it looks like several people got off the bus and just threw their mask away because there were several masks there laying on the ground. There's actually a circular bed about 30 feet in diameter, which anchors this wedge. And where is this? This is where Utah and Virginia meet. How can Utah and Virginia meet? Hmm. Well, anyway, and Gravoy as well. At this bed space, there is, you know, this bed space, as I said, 30 feet in diameter. It's got part of the lower part is lower, so it has a retaining wall built up. And there is pale purple grayish foliage cat mint in this cascading over the bed edge. Knockout roses. There must have been hundreds and hundreds of bright red flowers. Yes, there was some spent flowers on there, but uh, boy, oh boy, it was really, I mean, very striking. People were walking and some with dogs. Bindweed was weaving through all the plantings in the bed space, too. Miscanthus fills the heart of the planting area. You can see the flowers in the miscanthus barely rising above, you know, the knockout roses. It shows you how big the roses are. And um, there was a lot of great cricket sounds. You know, that's one of the, my favorite sounds just out of nature in general. And there was a single canna in this bed space, too, in this jungle of other, of, of other things. Bird sounds, great. Blue sky with really nice cloudy accents. And uh, there were some homes being renovated right there. Also, this the city has been doing this for a while in my neighborhood, too, and over here as well. 
They're planting bald cypress as street trees. That's going to be really interesting to see how the bald cypress actually work as far as street trees go. But uh, the bald cypress were waving by as a bicyclist drove by, heading out on his bicycle ride from who knows where to who knows where. This was a very pleasant morning here in mid-August. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller will be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. First yard we're going to visit today is Brad's yard. Hi, Brad. Yes, Mike. I have a larger lawn, let's say 40 by 30, where just one side where uh, where the grass has will burn out each year, and that side has a lot of uh, – it's only when after the temperatures reach about 90 degrees consistently in late June – uh, and this, that side has a lot of sun exposure. The other side that doesn't burn out has some partial tr- uh, shade tree and all that. And the side that does burn out, it only burns out like 60%. The problem's only occurred like the last five, six years. And again, only after temperatures reach about 90. It's not been told it could be a fungus or it could be something acidic in the soil or something like that. Any expert advice how I can keep a complete lawn each summer? <laughs> well, basically, have you ever had a soil test taken? No, I have not. Well, that way you can find out. There may be, are, do you fertilize or you have a you know, lawn service or something? Yes, I have a lawn service that fertilizes. They put a lot of iron down in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's fine. But, I mean, find out what there is there because if they're putting down fertilizer that has high levels of phosphorus and potassium, which are two of the essential major elements that are needed for you know, all plant growth, it could be having an impact. Uh, for somebody to say that your soil is acidic, just guessing is totally crazy because you don't know that. So to go out and let's say put lime down, that's not going to be a, you know not going to make much difference. Now this area that uh, is you know they, let's say dies out, is it along any kind of sidewalk or pavement or driveway or anything? Uh, no, it's not. Okay. Actually, actually, away from that, it's not burning up. Okay. So. Great. So anyway, I would start off with just find out what's going on in the ground and go from there. And also, do you core aerate? Uh, I, I do about every other year, yeah. Okay, and then follow that up with a, you know, a top dressing of compost so it falls down in the holes. And th- this area just seems like or sounds like it has uh, maybe a little bit more compacted soil or something along that line because, and, oh, I should ask you also, what kind of lawn do you have? Uh, it's mainly a bluegrass, I guess, with some mixture of fescue. Okay, so bluegrass hates summertime. And, uh, you know, the fescues can handle a little bit more of the summertime. So it's, you know, Mother Nature related it can, and probably soil related. So, But start off and get a soil test done. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Yep. And let's go from Brad's yard to uh, Holly. And Holly's yard is happens to be in Chesterfield. Hi, Holly. Hi, Mike. Hey, I've got two questions. Uh, I had a beautiful stand of grass this year. And in a matter of about two weeks, it turned brown. Now, I've been watering it between the raindrops that we've been getting, but I finally found the culprits of sod webworm. Uh, so I want to reseed, and I want to put down some sod webworm control, but am I doing that at the right time? Should I wait with the, the seeding 
or should I put down the side webworm control when I put the grass seed down, or what should I do? I'd get this, you know, the sod webworm, I would go ahead and uh, I would put, in case there's still some existing, I would go ahead and just put it down just, to, you know, because it's an insecticide, so it'll help control some of the other insects that may be ultimately having an impact on your lawn. And then with the seeding, it's a little bit early, so wait it, you know, wait for another couple weeks. And realize that if you do put grass seed down uh, pre-emergence, you just might as well forget it. Okay. Uh, my second question is, I have five knockout roses in my garden. And when is the last time I should give them rose food? Uh, probably by the end of this month or early September, that would be the last feeding time. Okay, great. All right. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. And now let's go to Denny's yard. Hi, Denny. Hello, Mike. Good morning. A um, couple questions. I'm going to tear out some uh, rose bushes soon, hopefully in the next week or so. And um, around the bushes today, there's quite a bit of weeds. And um, there's there also the, the bushes themselves are just maybe 8 to 10 feet away from some rows of Sharon. So there's some volunteer rows of Sharon's coming up as well in that area. Can I use Roundup to kill the weeds and if I and the rows of Sharon volunteers? And if I do so, if I use Roundup, how long do I have to wait to plant grass? Uh, grass, Roundup deactivates when it hits the soil. So you... You know, I mean, you should wait for a couple days just in case, especially if you're using uh, grass seed versus sod. But as far as using Roundup to control, the, you know, let's say the unwanted plant material, you just have to make sure that, you know, if you're going to do a spray, you have to be very, very cautious and make sure it doesn't drift on the, you know, on the roses. But also it might be easier just to take some Roundup and have it in a jar and take a paintbrush and paint it on the things that you're trying to get rid of. Okay. Okay. Uh, and secondly, too, I have uh, some areas which I have some ground ivy in, and it's also becoming uh, infested with some uh, weeds. Is there a product that I can use that won't hurt the ivy but will kill the weeds? If the weeds are grassy-type weeds, so in other words, narrow blade, then you can use a grass killer, and that won't impact the ivy at all. But, uh, oh. and, you know, always read, and this is for anybody, whenever you're using any kind of herbicide, read the temperature, read the label, and find out temperature ranges, too. So, But if it's broadleaf weeds, then you've got a little bit of a tougher circumstance and situation where, again, you're going to have to go and sort of, tr- you know, trigger spot one particular location where you've got broadleaf weeds and then just paint the Roundup right onto those weeds and then just move on to the next one. But if it's grass, again, narrow blades, you can virtually just spray a grass killer over the top of the ivy, and it won't impact the ivy just so you watch the temperatures. Super. Thank you very much, Mike. Yep, my pleasure. And now uh, let's see. Why don't we go over to Scott's yard? Hi, Scott. Good morning. Uh, quick question. Every year I put down this pre-emergent. Uh, I try to look for the, for the yellow flowers to bloom, and then every year about now my yard's just infested with the crabgrass. So, um what am I doing wrong? <laughs> well, I, you know, apparently you're not putting it down enough or right or whatever because crabgrass is one of the things that, uh, you know, the pre-emergent should prevent from germinating. Okay. Because there's a second application you can do or? Well, not, you know, if, it, if it's done correctly, you shouldn't have to. Okay. So in other words, the pre-emergent is targeted time-wise 
and that why we're using the forsythia is because the soil temperature is right for the forsythia to trigger the forsythia bloom, but also it's right at the time just prior to when all these summertime, you know, warm season annual weeds start germinating. So you want to get the pre-emergent down in time for, you know, to go over those seeds just as they are germinating. So that's what the timing's all about. So probably too late or... Yeah, you're probably missing it. Okay. Okay, thank you. Yep, and again, if you do it too early, it's going to be problematic from, you know, the standpoint of it, you know, depending upon our weather. That's the screwy thing with a lot of these things we're doing. We have these sort of like targets time-wise, but Mother Nature can play some nasty games. And, you know, this year with all the rain we had in the spring and everything else, it kind of, in the cooler weather, it's, you know, things are nuts. Yeah. Is too early better than too late, or is there one much different than the other? Well, too late means the the stuff's already germinated and growing, and then a pre-emergent doesn't do anything. Anything. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Swansea and into Craig's yard. Hi, Craig. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Our landscaping scheme consists of, uh, among other things, two burning bushes, and they're pretty mature. They've been with us for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. and they're good-sized, and, uh, you know, we love them. They're nice and green in the spring and summer, and and then they, they burn just nicely. But this year, one of them, when it was time for the leaves to come out, there are about four areas on the bush about the size of basketballs that got no leaves. And so we've got holes in our burning bush, Ooh. just one of them. And um, my question then becomes, any idea what the challenge here is? And if so, <clears throat> is it possible that next year they would get leaves or should we get rid of the burning bush? Well, you, we, you don't have to get rid of it necessarily, but if you got, you know, let's say stems or sticks or twigs or whatever coming out that still don't have any, you know, foliage on them, you might as well cut them out because they're not going to leave, those will never leave out again. Okay. And what it sounds like it has to, you know, if it's sort of random spots, is this along a street where people walk dogs? No, not at all. Okay. It's, uh, you know, it's in a real benign area of the scheme. <clears throat> There's nothing that really goes by. And, and, so, uh, and the one that's, that's got it, um, it's, they're all the way, you know, they're, they're different places around the bush. They're right. not like on one side or anything like that. Are they on the lower part of the bush? Um, Are they all over the top or? No, not on the top. They're low to medium. So that, you know, it has to be some kind of physical damage. It's not a dog. Yeah. Um, Wolver- maybe you have wolverines. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not from Michigan. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it has to be something that, you know, like I said, bro- you know, if you got deer, maybe deer stepped on it or something like I don't know. Nope, but nope, no it, deer. It's just a question of some- something physical had to do that damage. Okay, and so your advice, as I hear it, would be to have a little patience? Yeah, because um, those spots are not going to, I mean, those spots won't leaf out. You just have to either, you know, deal with, you know, let's say the open spots, and over a period of time, they may fill in, but it's probably always going to be, you're going to look at it and always think, uh, this thing doesn't look all that good. So you could either leave it for a year or so and see what you think, and then if you're agreeable with how it looks, then just go ahead and keep it. If not, then maybe think about getting a replacement in there. 
Okie doke. You know, you want them as just they don't have insect problems. They really don't have, you know, fungus problems or anything like that. That's not to say they can't have, you know, something happen. But for the most part, they're pretty much, you know, free of all those kind of troubles. Sure. That's what they've been. Uh, they've been, you know, really reliable right. for the last 10 years or so. Right. So that's why we were curious. But, Mike, once again, thank you for your time and your expertise and what a great service you have, and it's been a pleasure having you on our show. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Yeah. Yeah, the burning bush, are, I mean, they're really tough. They're durable. You know, I mean, it, the, only, the only problem that I see with them is sometimes uh, they don't quite get the color that what we anticipate, what the catalog showed, but that's where, you know, that's the production nursery problem where they took a cutting from maybe one that wasn't all that good. So anyway, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, whether you have a lawn service or you do the, let's say, servicing your lawn yourself, realize that the cool season annual weeds, this is, we're really on the cusp. This is August 15th, I think. This is mid-August. So within the next two weeks or so, you better get that pre-emergent down for all those cool season annual weeds. And that's the hen bits, the chickweeds, the annual bluegrasses, and there's several more. But you got to get, uh, you know, as I was talking to the gentleman earlier, he was talking about the warm season weeds. There's two different series of weeds. And as for decades, never nobody ever really kind of grasped onto that. And I can't quite understand how that was the case. So anyway... The pre-emergent goes down, but, you know, putting a pre-emergent down and putting down regular lawn grass seed, uh-uh, you can't really do it. You shouldn't be doing it. So uh, that's a tough choice. But anyway, let's go back to Swansea and go into Anita's yard. Hi, Anita. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. I have a big problem. Um, anyway, it's crabgrass. And uh, I've been pulling it for a month, but I still have my whole yard was just taken over with it this year. I don't know how it got away from me. I've never even had it before. But I bought some a spray, but I'm wondering, is it going to, do I have to pull it up? I've been pulling it up. I've pulled up six big bags of it. Whoa. Yes. And um, I got people on either side of me have got crabgrass. That's what they use for grass. But uh, anyway, is it easier to pull it up, or should I kill it? And then do I with poison? And then do I have to pull it up after that anyway? Well, you don't have to pull it up. It's an aesthetic call there, as far as once you've killed it. But just next year, do you know what the forsythia is—the yellow flowering shrub in the springtime? Yes. Okay. You should probably get a pre-emergent at that time and put that down. That will help control the crabgrass. Oh, so right now I, uh, you don't even think I should uh, put the poison down that I bought? Well, uh, there's probably, you know, the crabgrass has already been, you know, sending out their, uh, let's say their seed spikes and dropping seed already. So, yes, it will, let's say, minimize or reduce the amount of potential seed that it's going to drop or the, all the crabgrass is going to drop. But also just realize that there are already seeds that have been dropped, and then next year you got to get that pre-emergent down to get them under control. 
So okay. You can kill today if you want or right now with an herbicide. Um, but uh, just realize that, uh, you know, whatever type you use, if you use a grass killer, then it's going to kill your lawn if there is any lawn in there. And if you use, uh, you know, let's say, I mean, a Roundup type thing, it's going to kill everything, too. So you're kind of in a tough situation. Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm. Uh, I've been pulling it up. I've got. I've been pulling it up a lot. You're but, tough. Uh, well, I know I'm. T- <laughs> My hands are not so tough, though. But anyway, after it's, I, if when I put the pre-emergent the uh, weed killer down, uh, do I still? I still have to pick up, pull it up, no. in order to make it. No. no, because basically as soon as it's dead, you know, so in other, in other words, when the herbicide has become effective, then it's going to stop, you know, producing seed spikes and then it's going to stop dropping oh. seeds. So it's oh, just okay. if you've got a whole yard full of it, realize when you kill it, then you're not going to have anything. Well, it's not the whole yard, but it seems like it's the whole yard. Right. You know, it's just uh, on every side. But I'm having my yard over uh aerated and overseeded okay. uh, in a couple weeks, and um, is that poison going to hurt that? No, it shouldn't. If it's a okay, couple weeks then, later, right. It shouldn't right, have how long after? How long after that can I put down the pre-emergent? Well, the pre-emergent, you're going to be putting it down next spring. Oh, I don't put any down now? Well, you can if you have a problem with uh, the cool season annual weeds, but that's not... The crabgrass is a warm season annual weed. So, in other words, it germinates in the springtime. Oh, okay. The weeds that germ- are going to be germinating, let's say, in September, that's a totally different kind of annual weed. So, it's the crabgrass is a springtime. So, oh, okay. okay. Well, then, so I should don't have to worry about a pre-emergent uh, after I get... Well, yeah, I guess not after I get the grass seed uh, sowed. Yeah, definitely don't put a pre-emergent down with re- in relationship to, you know, putting down any kind of lawn seed at all. So none. Okay. And then, But next year, the lawn that you seed that you put down should be up growing healthy and blah, blah, blah. So next year, when the forsyth is in bloom, that's when you're going to put the pre-emergent down. And then one, some of the other things that uh, the pre-emergent you put down in the springtime, yellow forsythia time, spurge, ragweed, purslane, knotweed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail. So there's all kinds of, you know, and warm season annual weeds. So in other words, the crabgrass will stay green until the weather starts getting cold and then it's going to die and disappear. You're saying, oh, it's gone. But during this whole time that it's been growing, it's been dropping seed. Okay. Well, what's the numbers on that pre-emergent that I should use? Uh, there's no numbers. Just go to your favorite garden center or the lawn people that you're having to come out and core aerate and put seed down. Just see what you know, which you know, pre-emergent they'd recommend. You're probably going to have to have a professional service put it down. Okay. Okay. And, and let me ask you this, another question, which is really a pain in my patokas. Uh, I have uh, portulaca out by my garage. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's by the shed, really, and it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. It was overgrown. Anyway, something's been eating the flowers off of it, and we're just really tearing it up. And I saw a groundhog out underneath my—well, I saw him out. 
that only saw that's the only time I saw it, and I didn't even know what it was. But it was underneath my shed. I'm supposing, but I never. When I look out there at, at the time, I never see it anymore. To out there eating, but one morning at four thirty, well, it was about five o'clock. I saw this white thing. It looked like a cat. He was coming out of my yard, and he went down the down the the block in the in the ditch. So, does groundhogs do that? Basically, they- portulaca is not something that I know of any animal that eats. Well, there's so, a sem- well, you think maybe it's a cat? Well, I don't think a cat's going to eat those. No. I mean, Portulaca, you were talking about the thing with sedum that you know, usually is covered with all kinds of flowers through the summertime yeah. and self-seeds yeah. and comes back the next year and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I don't know what's eating it, to be honest with you. So something is because, I mean, it, the only thing I can think of is somebody's desperate enough that they need the moisture, but uh, that's just kind of a rare circumstance. So I think it's just an oddity for you know whatever the cause is, I don't know. But I wouldn't worry too. I wouldn't spend too much time worrying about it. I don't think it's a groundhog or something white, a cat, or anything else. You don't. No. Okay. Well, okay. I've been uh, very upset with it because they're so beautiful, and right. then uh, he probably half of what I've planted out there is, wow. uh, and it's grown. So I mean, every morning now, when I go out there this morning, there'll be another patch where it's pulled up. See, they'll eat the flowers, but then yet, I guess by pulling the flowers off, they pull it out of the ground. Mm. Not completely, but it's just, you can see that the uh, stems are dead. Right. Yeah. So, I, you know, again, I, just, I don't know anything that eats, you know, portulaca. I've never heard of that. So. Yeah, I've, I've had it for, for eons, and I've, this is the first year that it's happened, so... I thought you would have the, the correct answer for me. <laughs> I can make up something. It's something okay. from outer space. So just watch out for UFOs and things like that. Oh, well, okay. And uh, when do we trim our trees, uh, like the apple, the decorative apple trees and stuff? When do we trim those long, um, when they get so long? Next year, after they finish flowering, prune them at that time. Oh, you don't prune them this uh, in the fall? Yeah, if you prune them now, you're cutting off flower buds for next year. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you so much for your help. Sure. I listen to you every week. Well, thanks. Sorry I couldn't come up with some other than UFOs taking care of you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, well, I'll thanks, put Anita. I put that down in my book that I always put down stuff for what Mike Miller said about right. the UFOs. <laughs> right, exactly. See you, Anita. All right, honey. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, thanks to Tom for holding on so long. Tom, how are you today? Hi, good morning, Mike. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I have two questions. Uh, Yesterday I had uh, three Bradford pear stumps ground out. Mm -hmm. So now I've got three really nice, 36-inch diameter by about 8-inch deep holes. And I'm wondering what I can do to condition the soil uh, for next year to, like, replant some grass or something in those holes. 
basically what you want to do is get like a tom, uh, compost topsoil mix and just mix it in. But realize that there's st- even though there's a hole there and everything else, there's still a lot of wood there, so it's going to be difficult for your lawn to grow. Sure. Okay. And would uh, would lime help with that at all? Or? No. Without knowing that your pH, putting lime down, I don't know where that tradition ever came from, other than the fact way back when a lot of the people that sold gardening-related stuff didn't have anything to sell, so they told everybody they needed lime. And we create more problems putting lime down than we create, you know, say, good aspects. Okay. And my second question, last week there was a caller who asked why his Japanese red maple leaves were green. And uh, I missed the answer. I'm having the same issue. Basically, some varieties will come out red in the springtime and then revert back to green in the summertime. And then some of the varieties will then, again, when the fall comes, turn back to red. So it's variety-wise as much as anything. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And Mike. Tom lives in Pond. So you don't hear the word Pond. It's, it was virtually west of Ellisville, right where I grew up. So Pond Elementary School, so there's still some elements of pond out there. Let's go to Doris. Doris, could you do it a little quickly? Yeah, Mike. Yes. Listen, I live in Lime. Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, I have, uh, in my backyard, I have two knockout rose bushes. They're about six years old. And they've been beautiful all this time. But now this year, one of them has got some kind of a light green, real thorny, uh, something growing up in it. Right. And, I, and I've tried cutting it all out, and, I, and when I start doing that, I think I'm cutting my whole rose bush almost away. Right. What do you think that is? Well, it's rose, rosette. It's a major disease. There's nothing you can do about it. You have to dig up the rose and basically throw it away that has it. It's spread by spider mites. The arch ground had some rose... Knockout roses that got the rose rosette, they had to eliminate all the roses because the spider mites can blow from one, you know, shrub to the other. And what they do is they, as they feed, they inject the rose rosette disease into the rose and it virtually, it'll never recover. Okay. Well, that's what I kind of thought, but I thought, well, I'm going to ask you first before I do anything. <laughs> yeah, so, so thank you very much, Mike. Yeah, get rid of the one that has it, but uh, the other one may ultimately end up getting it. So well, I actually, they're, it, they're just about two feet apart. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, okay, well, maybe I need to get rid of both of them. Yeah, then. it wouldn't hurt. And then when you get yeah. rid of them, if you wait, you know, and you can replant them, get some new knockout roses next spring if you want to, if you want to get, you know, a couple more. Yeah, and start over, yeah. Right. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Yep. And okay, speaking, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And speaking of rose rosette, I grew knockout roses for several years in pots. And then one of my, you know, roses in a pot got the, you know, rose rosette, so... I don't have any roses growing in pots anymore. So anyway, again, we're getting right, you know, kind of at the time of year where realize that we're going to have to be putting a pre-emergent down sometime from this point forward to early September. And it's going to control the cool season annual weeds, which includes henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, purse shepherd's purse and a few other things as well but uh it's just if you don't put it down i mean there those are some really tough weeds and what those weeds do is they germinate in this fall 
They grow through the entire wintertime. They could care how less how cold it gets or anything else. And they're dropping seeds constantly. And then when the weather starts warming up, let's say mid to late April, early May, then they start disappearing because they can't take the heat. So in other words, a cool season annual weed is the ones that grow through the entire wintertime and can cause problems for your landscape. So, And weeds are, opt- you know, they're optimistic, no, and they are trouble. So they cause real problems in, with other plant material, with your lawn and everything else. And a, a million weed seeds can exist, and not all of them are going to germinate, but uh, could be trouble. Mike Miller, KM Wash Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. You got a little rhythm there, Mike. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. I got rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. And I'll be giving you shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly. Yo. Quite the wild storm this past week. Yes. So you got to see a storm from your screen porch. Stood on the back screen porch because it's on the east side and everything was coming from the west. And I told Sue, and we had a couple over, I said, this looks like we're in the middle of a hurricane. And it really looked like it. And uh, we lost one. I heard a big crack, and one of our tree branches fell, but it fell in the pasture in the back, so it didn't hurt anything. Good. Uh, otherwise, you know, just tree limbs are down and things like that. We lost power for like 29 hours or so. 29 hours? Yeah, it was uh, 11 o'clock on Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night, when it first came back, and then it went out again early Wednesday morning, and then came back again a few hours after that. So how do you keep cool and calm? Well, it was a little humid. (laughs) We uh, we slept some outside for a while. We just got a new uh, day bed on the screen and port, so we stayed out there for a while. And then uh, we were, if it would not have come back on Wednesday, we were going to go probably somewhere for sure. Like but hotel, uh, we made it, motel. you know, and, and we got some ice and the freezer was good and everything in the, fr- <clears throat> I think everything in the fridge was okay. Uh, I guess it was. We'd know by now. So, <laughs> well, the freezer, what difference does it make? Because I'm assuming it's electric, so. Yeah, but it, it I read a thing, actually, uh, state police, Illinois State Police sent out a tweet and it said your freezer, everything in the freezer, as long as it's full and frozen, right. is good for 48 hours. Oh. And so, but now the refrigerator is four hours. Ooh. Yeah, so we went ahead, we got ice pretty early on in the process and, and tried to keep everything cool in there. You mean like bagged but, ice? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So <laughs> it was an adventure. But Kevin Colleen, I'm sure you've heard on his whole other story, his neighbor's tree landed on his van. Ooh. Yeah, that's crushed it. So, yeah, that's not good. <laughs> so we, we were very lucky for sure. Well, how sure. about your garden? The sunflowers have taken a beating. They used to be nice and tall. We had some that were 9, 10, 11 feet tall, and a lot of them are... Rolling over now. I got a handicap. So yeah, so we uh, we cut off the heads and I like I stick them in the porch, the the supports, the uh-huh. uprights, you know, and and the birds will still come and eat the seeds that are there. Right. So we're trying to salvage them. And then Sue will put some in the kitchen and you know brighten up the kitchen a little bit. So we make the best of it. Yeah, you know, a little bit, a little bit to digress to last week about the hummingbirds coming mm-hmm. into our yard. Yeah, the hummingbirds for some reason, you know, I don't have the feeders. Blah blah blah. Right. But uh, they go around the mugo pine. There must be some sap or something. Yeah. Because I mean, they they go like six or seven seven different spots in the mugo pine. 
as they're flying around. So I didn't, you know, I sh- hmm. should do a little research on, you know, what kind of sap flow that they're going to go after. Right. As opposed, as opposed to nectar or whatever. Yeah. Now they also, and, I, and later in the year I've read where they also eat a lot of bugs. Right. To get the protein up for their big trip south. Sure. So they may be getting bugs too. But yeah, yeah that's interesting. Yeah. So caught me by surprise. Well, do a little research and we'll check back next week. Yes. All right. Thanks, Brian. And by the way, thanks for having me on your show. And we can discuss plant selection, ups and downs, and all arounds for your annuals, cool season annuals. Yeah, the pansies. Pansies are going to have some time coming up. Your bulbs, how about planting your tulips and daffodils and stuff? Don't have them yet, but you're going to be installing them in a little bit later. But the warm season bulbs, I mean, this year has been... <laughs> strikingly spectacular as far as for the cannas and for the even caladiums, though not too many people do the caladiums. Caladiums are kind of like small elephant ears with bright, bright colors for shaded areas, but uh, I've seen a couple great stands of cannas. Um, Edibles, ground covers, house plants, your lawn, your perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but remember... My answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offer for you to consider. Alex is across the big board. He's producing, and he answers the phone as well as producing and button push and all that other stuff. So first name and where you're calling from, that's all he needs. And I do landscape consulting called Walk and Talk. So if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. There's my email address and phone number listed. So, And I'll come to your home and share 40-plus years of experience uh, related to your landscape design, your houseplants, aesthetics, problem-solving, care, maintenance, whatever it happens to be. Tip of the Trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. Is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. This past week, we had Spire. Had to put some new gas line, you know, because our gas line was from 1950 going into our house. So they put, you know, new new lines in, but it kind of messed up our hot water tank. So we just decided to get rid of the hot water tank. So we went to Jenner, or R.A. Jenner, and that's a plumbing company. And they sent out Sam and Josh. And those two guys, they got rid of the old hot water tank. They drained it outside, you know, in a drain that we have. They brought the new one in. I have plants that cascade. We have a walkout basement. So I have plants that cascade down the steps going into the basement. They brought this hot water tank, took out the old one, brought in the new one. and They didn't even break anything, not one branch on any of the annuals, you know, seasonal type color. So these guys, the tip of the trial goes out to, again, Sam and Josh from R.A. Jenner, and it's a plumbing company on Gravoy, and I'm, I was just very impressed. So the tip of the trial goes out to them. Quite the team, you know, because the, they have to do repiping and everything with the gas lines, the water lines and everything, and the weldings, and they just did a spectacular job and got it done so quick. We were very, very impressed. So anyway, thanks to them. Tip of the trial goes out to them. So if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, you can give us a call right now. Why don't we head to Festus and see what's going on with Betty. Betty, how are you? Hello, Mike. Hi. Hi. I have a crepe myrtle that has gotten very, very large, 
and I it can't be in the spot it's in now. And I wondered, can I dig that up and split it and and plant it in two different places? Uh, you could, you know, but uh, you know, digging it up, you're going to have to dig it up. I probably wouldn't do it going into wintertime. I'd wait until springtime in the early spring, unless you can get it done fairly quickly. And as far as dividing it, you're just going to have to make sure that you get plenty of stems and plenty of root system in each clump. So it's not going to be all that easy to do, you know, to cutting it and to divide it. But uh, it can be done. And if you're going to do it this fall, get it done, you know, before mid to late September. So it has plenty of time to get its root system established because it's a, you know, it's a warm season, really, uh, shrub. And you want to get the root system established in case we have a cold, harsh winter. Okay. Well, if I wait until spring, what? When? When? When should I do that? In in February? Uh, yeah. Before any kind of before any new growth begins at all on it. So February or March, because they're not pushing out e- any leaf growth even at that time. So do it soon. The ideal time is fall to do it because the ground is warm. That helps the root system get established. And this is for anything, not just crepe myrtle. And, you know, then it gets to go to sleep for the wintertime. But just make sure that you get it done in time so it gets some new root growth before, you know, because we don't know what the winter is going to be like. Right, right. So so um, it's blooming right now. Right. So I don't want to do anything with it right now. No, because you want to see the flowers. But uh, right. you, you got to, you know, you're going to have to probably, because they bloom later in the season, depending upon the weather. So you're probably going to have to sacrifice some of the bloom time by, you know, when you dig it up, you should probably cut it back, too. And right. then, also, then, you know, split it. Well, we go. we cut it back last year, and this year it just went crazy. Yeah, this was a good year for the crepe myrtles. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. And uh, God bless. Bye bye. Yeah, thank you. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed to Baldwin and into Scott's yard. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure been listening for years and thanks for the free education that we get out of this all those <laughs> listeners i have a question for you i inherited a rose bush from my father-in-law's house when they were remodeling and doing stuff like that when it was kind of getting weak and we took it home anyhow and it was when we dug it up it was infested with ants in the root system mm-hmm. and i'm just telling you i sprayed it with ant killer <laughs> you know the root system brought it home and replanted it and that's been over 20 years ago yikes and the thing just keeps producing and it's just it's it's fragrant it's a peach colored rose i don't know that much about roses i have knockout roses roses i've never had climbing roses but this is not a climbing rose so i'm not a professional in roses so i can't tell you what kind of rose it is but it's like a bush type of rose my aunt told me the other day that you can take a cutting off of that and start a cutting. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't know how you do it, and I don't know when you do it. You can do it. Uh, it's not going to be all that. You're not going to just want to take a single cutting. You're probably you're going to have to get some rooting hormone at your favorite garden center. You're going to have to get some small pots, like a one-gallon pot, and you're also going to have to get some potting mix for starting plant material. And okay. uh, basically, to take a cutting, probably... 
between 9 and 12 inches, you're going to make the cut at a 45-degree angle. Then you're going to dip it into the rooting hormone. Then you're going to be putting it in the you know, the potting mix for starting plants and grow them in containers. I mean, that's really how the production nurseries you know, do shrubs. They do cuttings. You, you say 9 to 10 inches. Is that from the end of a stem or? Yeah, from virtually from the end of the stem down towards to where, you know, it's a the root where, yeah. Or the basis. Okay. Right. Okay. And when when should I when would be a good time to do that? Uh I mean, you don't have grow lights or anything in the basement, right? No, sir, I don't. Okay. So probably I would do it uh let's say mid uh let's say mid February. That's probably okay. when I do it. Do the cutting then. And then, uh, you know, kind of just kind of keep your fingers crossed. It's not going to be and easy. They, and they make a special potting mix for starting new plants or yeah, just regular right. potting mix? No, not. I would use, you know, if you can find one for starting plant material. Also, what you can do is go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website, mobot.org, and see what they're saying about, uh, you know, taking cuttings from roses. And then there is the Rose Society here in St. Louis, and they... I mean, those people are experts on this kind of thing. Well, that's where my aunt used to belong to, one down oh. in Mississippi, and then that's where she told me to. She was in a, one of those rose groups, and that's when she told me. But, you know, she's <laughs> she's getting up there in age, and I just don't know if that was really true or not, or she was remembering things different. So I didn't want to go through a whole lot of effort <laughs> right. and then it not be true, you know. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give that a shot then. Well, good luck. Sounds thank like you, you so much for your for our show. Right. Well, thank you for having me All on right, your bye. show. Lucia, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? Very good. Good. I am sad about my Jane Magnolia tree. It is swarming with wasps. It's got little white dots on the branches. Right. And it's the leaves are turning black. Wow. Basically, the, what those little white dots are is an insect called scale. So when the okay. scale feeds, it's like a kind of, a, it has an exterior coating on it. So a regular insecticide won't kill it. <sighs> so what, uh, you know, what you're going to do is as the scale feeds, it kind of goes to the bathroom after that, and it exudes, a, you know, let's say a sap or a saucy type thing. That's what the wasps yeah. are coming after. And that's on the foliage of your magnolia. And that's what it happens. That stuff sits there. And then that's what turns your foliage black. Oh, great. Well, so it's all related to the scale. So when winter rolls around, uh, when the, you know, this is an evergreen type magnolia, correct? Um, well, it, it loses its leaves. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, so uh, if it's a deciduous type, I forget what variety you said. You, oh, you said it was a Jane. It's but a it, Jane, yeah. Yeah, what you need to do is during the wintertime, have somebody, a tree service, come out and spray yeah. a dormant oil. Dormant oil. And what okay. that's going to be, after the leaves fall off during the wintertime, what that oil does is it suffocates the scale. Oh, good. So... You probably not, if, if depending upon how much scale you have on your magnolia, it may take, you know, a couple applications because 
Then once the dormant oil is sprayed, then during the growing season, there's actually a summer weight horticultural oil that you can spray on areas where the scale is still viable. And you're going to know where it's viable, so that's because that's where the wasps are going to be hanging out. Oh, can this spread to other trees? I've got a chestnut tree right there almost hanging on it that I need to get trimmed. I'm afraid it's going to spread to my other trees. Well, generally they can't. I mean, they can, but the branches have to touch each other because scale is virtually immobile. I mean, they do move a little bit. Okay. So that's... So it's not going to jump from one leaf of a tree to another. No, it won't. Sorry. Right. That sounds silly, I guess. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your program. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Again, you have scale, S-C-A-L-E, a type okay. of scale, and that's what's causing everything that's adverse beyond themselves. Scale. Okay, so I don't do anything until the winter. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your help. Great. And I'm glad okay. I could help. And let's, I mean, if you wanted to, you could go to your favorite garden center now and get the horticultural summer weight oil and spray it on to try to start killing the stuff off. Or you can just wait until wintertime and get the dormant oil because the dormant oil is heavier duty and it's more, you know, overall effective. Let's see. Where should we go now? Let's go over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for your service. Um, I put in sod about two and a half weeks ago, uh, zoysia sod, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a couple of questions about it. Number one, should I fertilize that this year or what, with like a melagonite or something, or should I just let it go? Uh, if you're going to do any kind of fertilizing, because, you know, zoysia is a you know, warm season grass, you've got to get the fertilizer, even something as organic and with low numbers as melorganite, get it on as soon as possible before the end of this month. Okay. Uh, second question is, how about the pre-emergence? Should I avoid that area? or? Well, pre-emergent, if you don't have a weed problem there that's coming up from, let's say, an annual-type weed, uh, sod will not be impacted by a pre-emergent at all. Oh, Okay. So it's best just I'll just skip that area when I apply it to the rest of the lawn. Yeah, you can, and uh, you're only you're applying it uh, unless you know that you where the sod is now. There's have been let's say cool season annual weeds were growing there last spring, and they could have dropped seed, and then the seed could be underneath the sod, and they could actually germinate and grow up through the sod. So you could put the pre-emergent down over there; it won't hurt the sod at all. Oh, okay. All right, um, next question. With all these downpours, I noticed in some areas with this, the seams, I can see the seams more now than I did before. Should I put a top dressing in there or a compost or something to kind of fill that? Or uh, So you're, you're worried about the gap in between the pieces of sod? Right, in some of the areas, yeah. Um, I said, you know... If you wanted to, you could probably do a little bit of it, but I wouldn't be overly, you know, concerned with it. Did you lay the sod or did a professional? No, I had I had a group help me. Yeah, okay. I got it from Heartland over in Columbia. Okay, so basically, you, I mean, it should be if it was done correctly by professionals. If there's a little bit of a gap there, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. Oh, okay. Um, okay. How about 
Now, I'm two and a half weeks into this, so and it looks green. It looks good. How about watering uh, now at this point? You just want to make sure it gets an inch of water per week. Okay. Whether it's from rainfall or from you watering from your, you know, your hose irrigation system. All righty. Thank you very much. Yep. I appreciate it. Yep, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. Actually, we're going into somebody's yard. It happens to be Ed, and he lives in Baldwin. Hi, Ed. Good morning. Yes, actually, you have been in our yard once. Really? My question to you is this. If we put down our pre-emergent now, uh, when should we actually overseed for the fall? And does temperature make any difference? Temperature makes a difference, but uh, you should wait about 30 days after you put a pre-emergent down before you put any seed down. All right, fine. Thank you very much. Yep. But make sure that the pre-emergent that you're using specifically, that you read the label because 30 days is kind of the more or less the average because they may say that you've got to wait a little bit longer. So just read the label to make sure that you're going to do it right. All right. It's going to be put down by a service. Okay. <clears throat> Sounds perfect. Okay, thank you. Sure. And now where should we go? Hmm. Let's go to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hi, Mike. My name's Steve McRoberts, and the uh, reason and purpose of my calling is about fourfold. Uh, I think you'll find this interesting. I'm relatively new in taking care and uh, handling gardening and yards and trees, uh, but I had an interesting situation. I have... A tree that was struck by lightning. The, it was an oak tree, and from the top of the tree all the way to the bottom is a gap uh, where you can see the lightning struck, a gap which is about one foot in diameter. Now, the tree is about two and a half feet in diameter, and some very big limbs have fallen, uh, at the time when the strike uh, resulted. Now, this is in the insurance company's hands, and the insurance company is acquiescing to what they should do. Now, uh, they certainly paid for uh, the tree to be cut up that was on my deck. However, I am worried because the tree happens to be within 10 feet of my house, and the tree is has a height of it in about 50, yeah, probably about 50 feet tall. So basically you're saying the split runs the entire length of the trunk? Yes, sir. Then that tree's dead. It's not dead because they're still green. Yeah, it's still green because those leaves are preserved, but that tree will not be able to do anything because the vascular system, the veins that go up from the root system, spiral. They don't just go straight up the tree. So the, it's been interrupted. So next year, there there may be some buds that were formed, but those buds may open a little bit, but they're never going to produce full foliage leaves. And the tree's basically dead. The tree is dead. Yes. Okay. Uh, question number two, if that tree is dead, you earlier gave a tree service uh, promotion. Could you give the phone number for the tree timber line tree service uh, phone just number go, again. Yeah, just go online. STL Tree Care. You know, you know. I don't want to give out the number uh, again because okay, I'm not. not a problem. I'll do that. Uh, I do have two other questions. 
One is regarding zoysia. Okay. I have the uh, small clover leaves coming up through my zoysia, and I have zoysia in uh, a very large part of my yard. So use a broadleaf weed killer on that. Put put what kind of weed killer? Because zoysia is a weed. Zoysia is not a weed. It's a grass. Oh, I always understood they called it a weed. So what kind of... what kind of weed killer would you use? It doesn't matter. You could use Weed Be Gone, anything that kills broadleaf weeds, because that's what clover is. Okay. Uh, after I use the Weed Be Gone, uh, should I use any other kind of uh, fertilizer? Not on zoysia. This is the wrong time of year unless you're going to do it before the end of this month. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that answers all my questions. You've been very helpful. Uh, thanks for your program. God bless you, sir. Well, Take thank care. you. Thanks. And sorry about your oak tree, but it is a goner. There's no getting around it. And uh, let's go to Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mike. Hi. Uh, good morning. Good morning. I'm really enjoying our show. Well, thanks. I got a question about I have a Japanese maple tree, and it it uh, dropped a seed, and there's a new tree growing. It's probably about six inches tall. And I was thinking about transplanting it to uh, to another area. How should I go about doing that? Uh, basically, since it's a nice little seedling, wait until the you know wait until the leaves fall off the you know little stem that's coming up out of the ground, and then just dig dig it up. You want to go down a three or four inches, and then move it to the new location. But ideally, what I would do is get you know like a black plastic nursery pot and grow it in a pot for a couple of years before you put it in the ground. But you could oh. try to move it into the location where you want it to grow. And, but I will tell you, if it's growing from seed, it's not necessarily going to be the same tree that it came from, you know, because there could be some cross, you know, hybridization and things like that. Oh, okay. It looks like the same color leaves and everything right now. Right. Okay. Um, Generally, it should be, but you never know. Okay. And my second question is I have a uh, I have fescue lawn and I've got some Bermuda grass growing in it that I really don't want to be Bermuda grass there. Is there any way to remove the Bermuda? Uh, you can cut it out like with you would cut sod out or you can go after it with just, you know, uh, like a Roundup type thing. Oh, OK. So Roundup would kill everything. Right. So it. If there is other grass coming up in the Bermuda, it will kill everything in that spot. But usually Bermuda is pretty thick and dense, and there's not too much other stuff, let's say valuable-wise, growing in a Bermuda, you know, let's say clump. Okay. And my third and last question, we, we have a pretty good-sized garden, and we grow all different kinds of stuff, and we have squash bugs every year. How do you... What do you do about squash bugs? There's not a preventative that you can do, so you're just going to have to, when you start seeing them, is just go after them with an insecticide. Oh, so what kind of insecticide do you use? Uh, and my, this is just on the bugs themselves? Yeah, you got to spray the bugs, bugs directly. You could use insecticidal soap. That's an organic product that's, you know, safe as far as unedible type things. Is that is that like neem oil? I've heard of neem oil. Uh, neem, I don't, you know, I guess it probably is, but it's, you know, the insecticidal soap is just a different product. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm really enjoying your show. Well, thanks. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on your show. 
And let's see if we can get another call before break. Let's go to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, real quick question. In my backyard, I have a, kind of a low area. The yard's basically flat, but I have a low area that's maybe about 20 foot by 10 foot. What would be the best thing to fill that void, topsoil or compost? Uh, you got to do a topsoil compost mix, but you're going to have to rototill the area that you're trying to add this to. So you cut, in other words, you can't just put stuff on top of the existing soil. You have to tear up the existing soil and blend this new stuff in with the existing soil. Oh, it, for and why? Why is that? I mean, because it, if it, you don't, the existing soil has a compaction level that the new stuff that you're laying on top is not compacted to that point. And consequently, it's going to, you know, run out. I got you. Okay. That's all I needed. Thank you. Yep. And the other option is that low wet spot is just to turn it into a rain garden. So. Well, <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But it's right in the middle of the yard. And oh, okay. Yeah. I have an, in the grass, I have a real nice lawn, and the grass is nice there. But with all this rain, it's kind of, and the humidity is really doing a number on it now. I'm sure. Right. Yeah. So, uh Anyway, all right, Mike. Well, thanks a bunch. Sure. So, in other words, you do have to make a cohesive blend with the stuff that you're bringing in plus the existing soil. And uh, I guess we should probably take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. <laughs> uh, let's head out to St. Peter's and go into Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. Good morning, Mike. Uh, uh, I first wanted to thank you and your and your brother too for all you've done in uh, St. Louis for uh, for gardening. I uh, I've had I had a class with your brother years ago uh, for uh, a group that was planting Forest Park, and you both have done so much. You're true treasures for the city of St. Louis. So right. thanks so much. My questions were about um, daylilies. Um, my uh, father-in-law lives in a retirement community, and they have had daylilies there for a very long time, and they've gotten bigger and bigger. And it, they've gotten to a point now where they'll, they'll bloom kind of in the spring, but they don't bloom as profusely as they used to. Um, the question would be is if we divided those up, do you think they would start blooming more? Does they, do they kind of get root bound and that cuts down on their blooming or is that just kind of the age of the plant? It could be the age of the plant, but generally the daylilies are pretty tough and durable. So they must be pretty old to be able to, I mean, if, if they're doing that. Iris is a different story. After about eight or nine years, the iris clumps or bunches will uh, stop blooming. So, But uh, with the daylilies, it probably wouldn't hurt, you know, hurt to thin them out a little bit. But uh, beyond that, that's about all you can do. Then the other question I had, there's two questions. The, the other question is they have a spot to plant more uh, plants, and he wants to plant a daylily there. Um, any recommendations on um, uh, another um, daylily that would bloom maybe almost as profusely as the uh, Stella Deodora does? Something I, I've seen some kind of red-throated or more red-flowered um, uh, daylilies. A any suggestions there? Yeah, as far as name-wise, I'm not really sure. But, uh, you know, getting, the let's say, the repeat bloomers, that would be what I'd look at. Or what they can do is, is unless he's just in love with the daylilies, maybe think about doing some of the sunflower families, some of the, like, black-eyed Susans or purple coneflowers, because they bloom... You know, extended periods, you know, and they take very sure. little care as long as it's in the, you know, the sun. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your show or for our show and, again, for everything you've done sure. for us. Thank you. 
And now let's go to Mary in Shrewsbury. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thank Hi. you. I really do appreciate your program. I uh, This is the first time I've ever heard of uh, uh, applying a pre-emergent product in the fall. So I'm more than happy to do that. Um, I'm going to mow tomorrow, and then um, I can uh, I can put down a, a pre-emergent. Uh, in the spring, I'm going to start up with uh, lawn doctors. Um, my my question to you is: um, Should I use should I uh, get a hose in product or should I use granules? As far as for the pre-emergent, yes, sir. It's personal choice as much as anything. Uh, it depends upon where you go. Some pro- some places will have both, you know, options. To me, it's easier to use the, uh, you know, the let's say the hose in s- situation because you have to water in the other stuff anyway. Right. I have eight eight thousand square feet, so mm-hmm. I need something that's going to get a little more bang for my buck. So, right. um, so I just need a pre emergent that I can put in a, in a hose in sprayer. Then right. right. All right. Thank you yep, for your luck. help. I appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. And, Donna, you're going to have to do it kind of quickly. Yes, thank you so much. Um, I have a tulip tree uh, that I had trimmed, some had some branches trimmed last year in October, and I noticed where they cut off the branches, it's, that there's some black there now, and at the bottom of the tree there's also a little bit of black kind of oozing, and I did not know what that meant. That meant, you know, where the branches have been cut off the tree – you know, I mean, there's no sealers or anything, so it's just there's probably a little sap, you know, oozing out of that, and it's just getting a little bit of bacteria on it. So, okay. I wouldn't, and the base of the trunk, probably there's, you know, there may be a split in the trunk or something like that. So it's just something growing on the sap that's oozing out of whatever it happens to be. Okay, so nothing, nothing I need to do then. Not really, no. Oh, okay, very good. Okay, and thank you for your show. I appreciate that very much, and thanks for your time. Thank you. Well, sure, you know. And I hate to take a chance, but Lucy, can you do it real quick? I mean, very fast. Yes. Yes, I can. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I, I have Rose of Sharon's that's growing out of control, and it's trying to take over my roses. Is that okay? Uh, well, it make it uh, overshadow your roses, so it could impact your roses. That's the only adverse part of that. Should I dig it up around the roses, try and get it out? Yeah, you could certainly do that. I mean, because if you when you put roses in a circumstance where they're going to get less than full sun, they're not going to be nearly as robust. Okay, they're in full sun. Just the rows of Sharon's are just going out of control. Yeah, they're going to get huge. Seven and eight so, feet tall. Yeah, so just realize that they're going to get wider and bigger and everything else, so they're going to impact your roses eventually. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. Certainly. And thanks to everybody for calling in. Joan, Sherry, Norm, we're not going to be able to get to you this week, but uh, you know, Garden Hotline should be around next week, I guess. But anyway, again, thanks to everybody. I greatly appreciate everybody who calls in and sharing knowledge and everything else. This just, the plant world is so much fun. It's great. So I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.